Well, let's begin with prayer then. Um, Lord, uh, we pray that you be with the Myers in this season. Um, Lord, you are so good and uh, your Holy Spirit uh, is what brings joy to us, Lord. So we pray that you be with with the Myers and their community in Florida, Lord, and uh, build them up. And I pray that all that you'd have for Eric uh, here on earth, that uh, you'd give him, Lord. Um, I pray that uh, as we approach Romans 14, that um, our thoughts and our emotions uh, would be conformed to your spirit, Lord. Uh, that any bitterness in us would be melted away, Lord. Um, any self-righteousness would be melted away, Lord. And uh, that we'd approach your word uh, as we approach your name with honor, uh, not taking it in vain that we get to hear about you and who you are and your purposes. And, and take all that bitterness or self-righteousness or fear or, or anxiety or, or whatever else that we put in place, uh, take that away, Lord, and replace it with your righteousness and your peace and your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, Romans 14, um, I, the title this for this sermon's welcoming our brothers as Christ has welcomed us. And by brothers, when I say brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, <laughs> okay? Um, so let's just jump into it. So on our outline, there's three things we need to, I think that are really important when we're approaching these, this passage of scripture. Um, and the first thing is, you know, this isn't the main point uh, weaker versus stronger. I don't think that's the main point of this ver or of this passage, but I think it's really important to understand the context when we approach Romans 14. There, uh, Paul speaks about a weaker brother and a stronger brother, and if we don't define that and we don't understand that and we we don't get it, I I'm afraid we'll miss like the whole point or the main point of this passage. So there's like a lot of traps in Romans. I think a lot of us, uh, this is something that John's been dealing with as he's been going through it, is trying to like help us avoid those traps and getting caught up in things that are really aren't important to get caught up in. And we take one verse out of context and, and get hung up there uh, and form all of our doctrines around it. And that's not how we do things. So when we're reading Romans 14, we're reading... Uh, it in the context of Romans as a whole. And when we read Romans in the context of whole, we read it in context of all of Paul's writings and, and what he says. And, and beyond that, we, we, we read it in the context of the Bible, in the context of Christ, right? So we're going to define weaker versus stronger uh, to hopefully navigate around uh, the trappings there and get to the, the main point, which is Christ at the center of of this, right? Uh, Christ is the He is the point. The scripture is from Him. Uh, it's through Him, and it's for Him. 
And then we're going to see how we follow in Christ's footsteps. As he welcomes us, we will welcome our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, weaker versus stronger. Um, Actually, let's open up to Romans 14. Uh, I'm throwing a loop for guys back there. Just to see what it's talking about here. Uh, We're going to read the first few verses of Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. All right, so we have the weak brother and the strong brother. Um, The first thing I want to point out is uh, for both the weak brother and the strong brother, it says in faith. First of all, they may be weak in faith, but they have faith. Okay, that's a really important point here. We're talking to the church as a whole. Um, Faith is our common ground here. We're not talking about an unbeliever or believer. Okay, we're talking about the church, who in the church, in the context of the church, some brothers may be weaker and some may be stronger in faith. Right, so, you know, in Hebrews 11.1 1, we read, now faith is the, assert, the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And this is something that they share in common. They all have a hope and assurance and a conviction uh, in regards to the Lord, right? The word here specifically, faith, um, I'm not going to attempt the, the Greek word, uh, <laughs> but it means it, it's faith in relation to God. It's belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, okay? So this is something they both share to differing degrees. And where they get it, Romans ten seventeen. so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Again, this tying it back into their, they're all finding their faith in Christ and in his word to differing degrees. Now the next context here um, I want to point out is we're talking to the church and the church at this time was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, people who were previously Jews, were previously Gentiles, and now they're all Christians. They're all brothers and sisters in faith. Um, so what that means is you've got these people who used, who were coming from the Jewish church, from the Pharisaical laws, and uh, they have all of these laws and restrictions, even from the Old Testament that you read about, concerning dietary stuff. So that's what he's talking about mainly here, right? It's not like... Uh, this is really an aside, but it's a part of the context. They're not talking about like, uh, am I a vegan because I think that animals are mistreated or something? That's not the debate here. <laughs> um, which that could be lumped into this if we're going to talk about Christians today. But in this context, they're talking about what they really thought uh, that really were laws from the Lord in the Old Testament that were serious. 
dietary restrictions that were serious, that every Jew knew what they were and they adhered to them. Like that was a big part of their life. Like food was a big part of their life just as much as it's a big part of our life today uh, and maybe even more so. And then they're talking about the days that they celebrated, right? Um, there are lots of festivals and, and uh, days of feasts that they had to maintain and, and do. And the thing is that what Christ came to fight against, you know, to, to battle, to, to help us come out of, to set us free from, really, was we took those feasts and we took those dietary restrictions and we weren't glorifying God through them. That's not what the Pharisees were doing. They were, in a way, lifting themselves up, right? By saying, I can keep all the things. I'm clean. They're unclean. I kept the festivals. They didn't. I'm more righteous. They're less righteous. When they were always intended to point us to Christ. Okay? So the next difficult thing to understand is we found this common ground in faith. That's what we're talking about. So if we're all in the faith, then why do we even use the word weak here? Why is Paul even referring to someone as a weaker brother? Right? Like, what are they weak in? Just because they're not getting their regular protein, they're not as strong? No, it's not like physical strength. <laughs> um Let's go to 1 Corinthians 8, 6 through 7. And this is a, 1 Corinthians has very similar passage to this one. And if you want to go look at that after this sermon, I suggest you do that because we don't have time to go through all the scriptures. But 1 Corinthians 8, 6 through 7. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Uh, and the, let's just jump to Romans 14.14 14 as well. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So I just want to point out here that um, when Christ came, he died and he rose again. Those laws that we talked about, the dietary restrictions and stuff, did not pass away. He fulfilled them. He didn't abolish them. He fulfilled them. Uh, but that's an important thing to know. If you know who Christ is and you know he died and rose again, uh, then you can, there's no unclean food to you anymore. But if you don't know that, then you're still upheld to those old laws. Your conscience is still, uh, if it's not become callous and seared to God's law, um, you still are sinning against your conscience and against the Lord. So that's the knowledge that, that maybe the weaker brother is missing. Maybe he hasn't heard about Christ. Maybe he hasn't uh, to the full extent or, or the implications of, of Christ dying and raising again. And I want to get to Second Peter here and kind of follow this, this line of thought 
So if you want to open to Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to jump down to verse 5. So Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Remember, we're talking about we're in the faith, okay? This is the same faith. It's saying to supplement it. What's that mean? Okay, I, d- I know uh, we don't have too many uh, what what the our culture calls gym rats, right? Well, people who work out a bunch. Uh, at one point, I was a gym rat, believe it or not. <laughs> and then I got married and actually had stuff to do. <laughs> I got saved and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I got happy. No, Um, but there's a a thing, you know, when you're a gym rat and you're focused on building your body, right, uh, a lot of people will take supplements, right, amino acids, things like that, uh, to whey protein, things to, that are in addition to their normal everyday diet, so that their body has what it needs to build and become bigger and stronger and, and whatever you, you know, whatever. So when it's talking about supplementing your faith, it's saying your faith isn't going to grow unless you do some things. Okay, so you'll be a weak brother and sister unless you do some things. So what are those things? Well, if you follow the line of logic here in Second Peter uh, chapter 1, says supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So what it's saying here is as you grow in knowledge, like your faith will be, will grow. The end result of your faith growing is hopefully love. And the starting point is, is more knowledge. Okay, so I can't, you know, as I get to know Christiana better, I can love her better, (laughs) right? I know what she likes, I know what she doesn't like, you know. Uh, That's an important thing to understand. Because that's the end goal here, that's the main point is, is honoring God by loving each other. Loving God by loving each other. So we need to know some things. We need to know God's word. So that's why Paul leaves this in here. He doesn't dance around the word weak or strong. He's not like, you guys are all living your own life and whatever you do is perfect for you. You know, he's, he's saying, uh, we need to love each other and we do that to differing degrees and hopefully we grow. So that leads us to the question, well, is weak wrong? If, if it's a lack of knowledge, is it wrong? Um, we're going to read Romans 14, 3 first. Let no one who eats despise the one who abstains 
And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. So I think that's pretty clear. Weak is not wrong. If you're a weak brother or sister, as I am many times, that's okay. (laughs) You're not outside the fold. That's not the main point here. What I think is more important, and to Paul here, uh, we're going to see a lot of, if, if you read this whole passage, there's a lot of like, don't pass judgment, don't despise. Um, and we might take that, and this is a trap, we might take that, don't judge or don't despise, to say like, we're not going to judge them on anything. It's okay to do anything the way you see fit. That's not true. He's talking about very specific things here. He's talking about diet and days you celebrate, things that are on the periphery, uh, things that just need more knowledge about, not things that are didactically right or wrong. So let's look at Luke 18. And I think this gets at the heart of what, you know, what Paul really thinks would be wrong. Weak isn't wrong. Whatever this is, is wrong. So Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to someone who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt or judged others or despised others. And the the parable goes this way. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even those disgusting tax collectors. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So, my question for you guys is, uh, is the weak brother the Pharisee or the tax collector? And is the strong brother the Pharisee or the tax collector? Well, that's a trick question. (laughs) Because... Paul, right now, he's assuming they're both the tax collector. Both the weak brother and the strong brother, he's, he's referring to as the tax collector, you know, the one who's humble, because they're doing what they're doing out of honor to God. He's, he's saying very clearly that if you do despise the other, or you do judge the other, that's when you're already the Pharisee. If in your heart you have, I'm glad I'm not like that person, that's what's wrong. So if someone comes up to you and says, you know, uh, I don't eat meat because, you know, I feel convicted about it because of my face. Don't go to them and say, like, oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. They don't, you know, they're not as righteous as me. What's wrong? And don't go to someone who, uh, you know, this is something we are in a church who some people drink alcohol and some people don't. 
and this goes both way on, on this fact. There's people who, who, are, who drink alcohol and say, I know my Christian liberty, and that makes me more righteous than the person who refuses to drink alcohol because they think it's a sin. That's wrong. You're a Pharisee. And then I know people, uh, you know, I was this way at one point, who say, people who drink alcohol, and they call themselves Christians, wow, how unrighteous are they? They must not know the Lord. That's wrong as well. That's a pharisaical heart. And this is an issue that, you know, we've got, we serve communion here, we serve wine and grape juice, and that's purposeful. That's something that's a discussion we have a lot, actually. Why? Because of this scripture. That's such a small point. I'd rather, I'd rather it be an issue for us to come here on Sundays and say, are they even using scripture in their sermons? Are they preaching about the gospel? That's a much bigger deal. Do they have love in their hearts? Are they welcoming people into their homes? That's a bigger issue than wine or grape juice at communion. So is weak wrong? I don't think so. I think Paul takes great steps to, to say that it's not. So, Christ at the center. Obviously, there, we're talking about food and drink and days of observance and stuff like that. Um, so why do we even care about this stuff? Why would Paul bring it up? Because obviously the church cares about it. <laughs> Otherwise he wouldn't write to them saying, you need to care about this, right? Why, why do they care about it? Why is it important to talk about? If we're all supposed to not pass judgment or despise anyone, why do we care about it? Well, Romans 14, 6-9 says, the one who observes the day observes it in Honor of the Lord. The, the, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. One other trap I don't want us to fall into when reading this is that if it's okay to eat and it's okay to not eat, and if it's okay to observe these days and it's okay not to observe these days, then it's not important and I can be unintentional about how I live my life. Paul's saying here, whatever you do, do with conviction. Be, be fully convinced of why you're doing it. Be intentional. Every day you eat, you're eating to the honor of God. That's more important than what you eat. There's plenty of people who are, are not convicted about what they eat uh, because they just don't care. <laughs> because eating's just, I have to do it. No, no. 
eating so much more than just causes me to survive. You know, Stephen talked about this today when he's talking about why do we study the attributes of God? One of the main things is it should shape our prayers. If we're understanding about God, uh, we should be praying thankful prayers. If we really thought about our food and the days that we celebrate and the drinks that we drink, we should be full of thanks to God for it. Every time we sit at a, at a meal, uh, you know, the, we should be full of thanks because it's amazing that, you know, one, that we have food to eat, and two, that God made it so that we could enjoy food. He could have just made it bland and taste like nothing, and it's just a step that we take every day, but no, he's made like amazing food that we get to enjoy, and when we eat it, we should do it to honor God. And when we don't do things, like when we fast or we abstain from certain foods, we should do it to honor God. Paul's advocating for intentional lives here, going through life intentionally. And I think it's a bigger sin. Uh, it's worse to be the brother who does things unintentionally than to be a weak brother. Because the weak in faith, uh, Paul talking about here, he's at least being intentional. He's doing it in faith. Faith is intentional. So, also, Christ is seen in, in what the kingdom of God looks like. And this comes into this whole food thing. Why do we care? If you read Romans fourteen seventeen, it says, For the kingdom of God is, a matter, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And does that mean that we don't eat and we don't drink? Or that that's unimportant? If you stop eating and drinking altogether, I tell you, like, you're not going to have a good day. Uh, that's not going to end well for you. It's not saying that those things are unimportant. It's saying that they're not the point of the kingdom of God. The point is righteousness, peace, and joy. And food and drink can be a part of that. They can be a tool uh, for us to understand God's righteousness and his peace and his joy. And then we hopefully... After seeing all of this, we see it and we follow Christ's example in all of it. Um, in Romans 15, we're going to read verse 3 and verse 7. It says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So it's like Christ suffered because he withheld certain pleasures from himself. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So we're not going to dwell on that, but we'll come back to that verse when we talk about how our faith has worked out, okay? So, we're going to read Romans fourteen twenty one through 22. Um, let's jump to 22 and, and see how this could really be a trap as well. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. That seems really straightforward, right? 
Keep your faith to yourself, guys. Don't tell anyone about how you live your life or what you do, uh, and don't let anyone tell you about their faith or how they live their life. Right? That seems what this means to say, right? Hmm. If you have apprehensions in your heart, that's a good thing. Let's go to verse 21 right before it. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That's when we keep our faith to ourselves. If it's going to cause our brother to stumble. Okay? If it means, you know, John Gray spoke a couple weeks ago about Romans 13 in reference to our civil liberties. You know, uh, he's talking about when we serve a government that's maybe more or less unrighteous, right? And God's call to serve, uh, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, pay your taxes, that kind of stuff. Um, And he mentioned something that kind of stuck in my head and I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, You know, as believers, we, we have these things that we call Christian liberties, uh, freedoms, you know, in, in Luke, we read today, Luke 4, about how Christ came to set the captives free. That's a big Christian topic is freedom. Uh, and that's why if you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to be full of anxiety. You're not going to be full of depression. You're not going to be weighed down by life. You're not a slave to sin and death anymore. You're set free. You have freedoms. You're you're allowed to eat any food you want because there's nothing unclean anymore. Because Christ died to wash away uncleanliness. And one of those, those freedoms, uh, you know, that we, we have, or rights that we have as human beings, uh, you know, it means like we can take certain stands as uh, civilians of a certain government and that would be perfectly biblically okay. And you wouldn't be sinning to take a stand against your government. But, he said, beyond that, you have the right or the liberty or the freedom to lay down those other rights and liberties and freedoms for the sake of reaching a brother, for reaching out to someone else. And that's what Christ had. Christ had the liberty and the freedom not to die on the cross, guys. (laughs) If anyone had a right not to die on the cross, it was Jesus Christ. The only person who had a right not to die on the cross is Jesus Christ, and he chose willfully, in fact, he felt obligated to lay down that right for us so that we could have life, so that he could welcome us in. And that's what that verse going back um, to verse 7, or, where is it? Yeah, verse 3 of Romans 15 says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He laid down his right to avoid the cross, to avoid death for us. And so if it means... Yes, you have the right to eat, un, you know, there's no unclean food anymore. You have the right to eat food. You have the right to drink alcohol, guys. 
But is that always profitable? Is that always reaching out to your brother? And if you think yourself to be the stronger brother, just so that you have the title and feel good about yourself, that you're the stronger brother, well, guess what? The stronger brother has the burden of responsibility and love. If you really think yourself the stronger brother, that's your burden and responsibility to love on people. And that's when we go all the way back to Second Peter 1, 5 through 8. I said, to grow in your faith, you're starting uh, at growing in knowledge. But it's ending in love and affection. The really mature people need to be the most loving and affectionate. So if you want that title of stronger brother, hopefully you, you take on the title of most loving as well. And you give up your rights for that. That's important. So I got a couple other verses on this. I'll probably try and wrap up here. So should we keep our faith to ourselves? Well, uh, in reference to should we cause a brother to stumble? No, right? But if we go on and we read Ephesians four twelve through 13, it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith, faith at the same level, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, going back to this, like you're not going to grow unless you grow in knowledge. So if you keep your faith to yourself and you're saying, I'm, I'm going to keep here, you're never going to find out whether you're the strong brother or the weak brother. And you're definitely never going to grow up to be a stronger brother if you keep everything to yourself and don't listen to people. Okay, This is a different thing than causing someone to stumble. All right. I don't think our expectation is to leave everyone where they're at when we find them. As a church, I think it's been pretty, made pretty clear, at least to me, uh, if you go out and read our sign, it's acceptance as you are, sure, but empowerment to grow. And what that looks like is sharing each other's lives, being open with our faith. We can share our faith. What, what we talk about in here in verse 22 when it says, uh, keep your faith to yourself. It's talking about offending your brother and causing him to stumble. Someone who's like on the edge of like, you know, I'm sort of growing, but if I got offended, I might even leave the church altogether and you're not going to see me again. And then that person's lost to you. You don't have an opportunity to help them grow. You need to gain their trust. You need to be a brother who's loving and affectionate because if, if you want to challenge someone you need to have gained some trust there so that's really important don't don't think reading this that you can just keep everything locked in and and my faith is my own don't tell me anything different that's wrong that's a pharisee spirit but then beyond that i want to talk about three things uh, uh we'll skip some of these other things but mainly there's some things that um, Paul makes very clear why we should tread lightly in these matters and why it comes back to Christ. 
is if we're reading uh, Romans 3, or 14, 3b through 4, we see three reasons like why it's really important not to pass judgment or despise your brother. First is God has welcomed your brother. If they're in the faith, God welcomed them in. That means Christ, Christ paid the price. Right? You didn't. You didn't pay the price for them to come into the fold. Christ did. And if Christ says he's good, then he, the person should be good in your eyes. Right? It's like if, if you come into you know, an area and you're like, who's this stranger? And the one trusted member who can say, like, he's with me, it's good, right? <laughs> he's with Christ. He's good. Let him into the fold. He doesn't have to pass. If Christ accepts him, he doesn't have to pass any other test, <laughs> okay? There's not some, uh, what, you know, does he drink, does he not drink? He doesn't have to pass that test to be in your group. He already passed the most important test, which is Christ chose him and died on the cross for him. Do they think, you know, instruments are good in worship or not? They don't have to pass that test. If they're there, they're there because Christ said they could be. So that's first. Christ, you know, God welcomed them in. Secondly, who are you to pass judgment on, a, on the servant of another? They stand before God. God judges them, not you. At the end of time, uh, when they're standing before the judgment seat, they're going to be in front of God, not in front of you. And he's not going to ask you, uh, did you make sure you didn't drink? Or did you make sure you didn't smoke a cigarette or do this or that? Uh, and do you know anyone else who did? Can you tell me who did or didn't? <laughs> no. He's gonna, you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, if he's accepted you into his fold. And that's it. I mean, there's going to be more to that. Uh, and that's a whole other study. But he's not going to be asking you about your brothers and sisters in Christ and how well they did. He's not going to ask you to snitch on someone. We each stand before God and we're going to be standing before God with only Christ beside us. And then the last thing is, and he will, up, he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Another thing is as we challenge these ideas and we're going through scripture, uh, you know, and like I said, at one point I was very against alcohol. And that was something I, you know, I approached scripture, I approached my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I came to, a, you know, a conclusion, you know, I drink alcohol. And when I'm challenging these ideas, right, whether it's alcohol or any other kind of like periphery idea we come to these ideas and a lot of times we can be so many beliefs that we've held for so long are being challenged sometimes we can think well maybe I'm not a Christian anymore or as someone else's their ideas are being challenged and maybe you're thinking well I figured it out maybe they're not a Christian anymore because I figured out the truth now and uh, they haven't come alongside me so they're still in the dark or something um, 
Or maybe they'll fall away if their ideas change. You know, if one friend that you knew for so long starts drinking alcohol or something, and you're like, well, now that they drink alcohol, they're not a Christian, and uh, they've lost the faith. No, God upholds us, and he's going to finish the work that he started in us. And I think that's a wonderful promise. And it should, be, should cause an apprehension in us before we judge a brother or sister and say, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go up to someone and say, because you did this, you're no longer in the fold. Good luck on judgment day. No. This is a wonderful promise. So these three things, you know, that God welcomed your brother in, God is the master of your brother, and God can and he will cause your brother to stand on judgment day. That brother will be there, and he's going to stand in front of God, uh, not on his own merit, but on Christ's merit. And so whether we fail at a couple points or not, not that important, because ultimately, the Lord's what makes us righteous, not our actions, not whether we drink or don't drink or eat or don't eat or observe this day or don't observe this day. That's not what makes a difference on, on judgment day. And that's what we can live in right now. So as we come to the table and the, ser- the communion servers prepare to come up, something I do often at, at communion is I get my communion and then I'm I watch you all as you walk up, not in a creepy way, uh, but in a, a thoughtful, praising God way that there's so many of us from different backgrounds who hold different beliefs often, and we're eating at the same table. And, and you know, Stephen talked about this a little bit today, too. He's, he's talking about how amazed he is what brought us all together, and he's like, you know, if I was up to me, I don't think I would have chosen you all. (laughs) But God chose all of us to be here together. You know, and whether you, again, uh, whatever you think about R-rated movies or tattoos or drinking or not drinking or eating or not eating or uh, dancing or not dancing, I don't care what it is, uh, we're here together, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're eating from the same table. And Christ is the one who welcomes us into the room and says, he's with me. So let's come to the table and uh, consider how good and gracious God is to us. And uh, leave today loving each other more and being gracious to one another. Lord, I thank you for this uh, day. I thank you for all these brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you would soften our hearts. Uh, turn our eyes to you and the, that we would live and do everything with intention uh, to honoring you, God. However that looks. In Jesus' name, amen.